one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today, being uh, the day of the Pennsylvania primary, we're going to be talking about why presidential candidates should listen to their mom. (laughs) As Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama are running neck and neck in today's primary, their fate may be decided by which one listened to their mom. And the same, of course, will hold true with John McCain. Today's guest, Michelle Drake, she is the author of From the Kitchen to the Corner Office, Mom's Wisdom on Leadership. She's also the CEO of the Cove Group, which is a management and marketing corporation. And um, I'll read a, a couple of sentences from her new book that describe uh, what she does. She talks about how she... Um, has had a traditional role in her home, but also she's the CEO of a management and marketing corporation. I have personally gone from the kitchen to the corner office, and I've helped others do the same thing because my company helps to coach, manage, and train executives on how to move their careers forward and entrepreneurs on how to build their dream. Welcome to the show, Michelle. It's great to be here, Dr. Carroll. Um, this is, we'll start off talking about uh, the presidential candidates and how they should have listened to their mom, <laughs> but um, I just want to say, I just want to congratulate you on your new book. It's not even, we're actually getting a peak, a first peak, because um, even though this book is currently on Amazon, its uh, release date is May 6th, so it'll be in your stores, the store nearest you. Uh, from May 6th on, but you can get it on Amazon now. But I just want to say um, I was really impressed by the book because I anticipated it being, I mean, I know you and you're wonderful and fun and all of that, but I kind of expected it to be sort of a, oh, I don't know, if not dry, then just a a kind of um, what um, traditional book on leadership. And what makes your book so wonderful is that it's really sort of a combination of a novel. I mean, it's not a novel. It's your true story, but it reads like a novel. And these uh, lipstick lessons, um, these, uh, you know, things, lessons learned from women in your family, um, matriarchs, people, all the women that you've that you've uh, come to know in your original family and, and your husband's family. but um, And it just makes it so real and so much more palatable and, and makes it uh, uh, seem to make so much more sense. So I just wanted to congratulate you on that because it was this is the <laughs> this is the warmest, most fun book on leadership that I have ever read. Well, thank you very much. You're we wanted welcome. to we put infuse a little bit of kitchen into this scary business book. You know, most business books do make people feel like they want to run a bit. <laughs> yes, that's right. 
You know, it's like, oh, God, do I have to read the? You know, you, you kind of know you're supposed to read it because you want to get ahead, but, oh, God, <laughs> this is so dry. And um, yours is just wonderful. And we'll be talking about some of those stories and, and uh, your um, ascent from the kitchen to the corner office. Um, but first, let's talk about how this applies to the Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama race and the presidential race in general. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I find it so interesting to take a look at what the moms of these candidates are like because it really tells a story as to uh, exactly how they are out there and in the public eye. Like, uh, like Hillary, for example, her mother, uh, Dorothy, really taught her to fight back. You know, at the age of four years old, she was pushing Hillary to go out and stand up for herself when the, when the girls in the neighborhood were picking on her. And, you know, told her, you know, there's no room in, in our house for cowards. And so it tells you a lot about, about who Hillary is and her public stance. So, yeah, I think she's definitely listening to her mom in how she is handling each adversity and, and each attack. I think that, you know, my opinion on the whole, the whole Hillary thing and the women's vote and will she get it or won't she get it, uh, I think that, she, that women are struggling to relate to her mm. because they've seen that tough side, that side that her mom really uh, helped to groom her with, this, this fighter in her. But... She's having a difficult time, I think, showing us that softer, more compassionate side of of who she is maybe as a mom. Yes. Um, you know, wasn't that interesting in New Hampshire um, when she cried? Some people say that was staged. I, I thought it was real. But that's when she won by, by so many more uh, votes than they had predicted. Right. And, and I think that, that if she can figure out how to show us who she is, it, it, she'll have a much better time connecting with the voters. I think that that's been one of her biggest challenges is that all of this fight and all of this fight has a tendency to alienate people mm-hmm. and instead of connect with people. And that's one of the big things that I think that, that we as women have to offer in, you know, in politics, in the workplace, is this ability to be uh, more compassionate and more connected and more relationship-oriented. I just haven't seen it in, in um, all of the public appearances, appearances of, of Hillary. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is, you know how now for from quite a while, um, people keep saying, oh, or not everybody, I mean, some people say, well, why aren't you giving up already? Why don't you give up? Um, uh, that way the party will be able to unite earlier on, and are you really going to stick it out in this race? And I wonder, if it had been a man, would they be saying the same thing? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they'd be commending him for staying the long haul, and uh, you know, I, I think that she takes a lot more criticism. But I think that one of the reasons that she does is that she's, you know, her stance is a traditionally male stance. I think, you know, ha- the, her persona that's being projected out there. You know, to me, I'd like to see, I'd like to see more of who she is, and um, but I do think that as you take a look at how we are shaped by our mothers. It explains a lot about how we interact with the people that we work with and the relationships that we have. And 
and definitely her mom was you know she was tough and she was she was a she was a fighter she had a very tough life and so she came in kind of trying to teach her daughter how she could stand on her own two feet and make it on her own hmm. well what about um Barack Obama's mom so Barack's mom uh Anne was very different than that she was very uh very authentic but had this reckless kind of side to her um he grew up in a in a variety of places he spent time in indonesia his mom was married a, a number of times she was a bit of a romantic and got caught up in in a lot of you know going for dreams and the the ideology of things and trying to improve things a real activist um but i think that he went the other extreme in that he has created with his own family and his own life in the Midwest this feeling of stability that maybe was missing for him as a child. Um, definitely has this same kind of a passion that his mother uh, that his mother had for you know speaking and taking action and making a powerful argument, really working with a crowd to to uh, kind of bring them all together for a cause, that was definitely how his mom was. Um, and so she was this, this fearless woman who really wanted to stand for something. And if you look at, at Barack, that does explain a lot of who, see, who he is. Um, he, he, wasn't, he isn't looking for the fight. He's looking for change. He's looking to uh, to affect some kind of change in a way that's powerful. Yes, of course. Um, I did a show uh, some weeks ago about Obama and my concern about his terrorist roots. Um, but we don't have to go there today. But <laughs> I mean, the change that he wants to bring about, um, I think, is a rather dangerous one. But we can we can oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm saying that that change that. The the idea of of what his platform is is all about who his mother raised him to be. Mm-hmm. If you look at if you look at it in that way, she had him living in different places. She had uh, um, him experiencing different cultures, even though she was uh, you know a midwestern a white midwestern woman who was not brought up with that same type of a of a background, she was looking for, you know, the the romance in life. She was looking for cultural differences. She was looking to create something um, exotic. Yes, by marrying two Muslims. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't, I'm not saying that I would agree with how. <laughs> well, what about McCain? Now McCain, he you know he comes from uh, again. It's so interesting that it's that they're all very different. Mm-hmm. His mom Roberta was like this um, kind of straight shooting um, person who had a very positive spin on everything. Like she didn't stop, tolerate any complaining. She was all about um, accountability and taking responsibility mm. for your actions, um, even to the point where um, when he was uh, 
when he wrote about his time when he was a POW and chose to use some very, uh, let's say, colorful language in describing his captors, she called him out on it and said, you don't use language like that. Mm. You know, it, so she was very much, uh, you know, very into kind of what was proper, but not from a place of of showiness, from a place of accountability and doing what was right. And uh, definitely she was very outspoken. Um, but she was about, all about, you know, we, we ch- you know, you choose... If you chose to be in the military, then you're choosing the life that you have. She was a a, a Navy wife, and and so they moved a lot as well. She was very into the same kind of a kind of a feeling for kind of exploring new cultures and adventures, but not from a romantic place. So that was a little different than uh, than Barack's mom. More from what? More from just a learning and experiencing. Uh huh. From a more academic place. Well, that was very interesting. We do need to take a break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today with Michelle Drake. She is the author of the new book, From the Kitchen to the Corner Office Mom's Wisdom on Leadership. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. The Cherry Douglas Show, with the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Cherry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Cherry Douglas Show. Join Cherry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news, events, and trends. The Cherry Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas broadcasts each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Carrie Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas, your premier source for faith based entertainment, news, events, and trends. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about why presidential candidates should listen to their mom. We've uh, My guest, Michelle Drake, has just analyzed the moms. <laughs> Of all of the current candidates, I mean, given that uh, the Pennsylvania primary is going on as we speak. Um, but this isn't just about presidential candidates. If you are a mom or have a mom, <laughs> this uh, mother's wisdom and how our mothers influence us um, is something that you should uh, know about, not only in regard to um, how it affects you personally, Yes, that's what I that's what I deal with um, as people are on my couch in real life. Um, but also how this is impacting you and your uh, ability to get ahead in the workplace and in the world. So why don't we talk about that? How first of all, what made you write this book um, from the kitchen to the corner office? Well, it's interesting. I, I work with um, executives. I coach them on how to develop as leaders. And I had a client who worked up in Boston and then went out on maternity leave. And she ended up having a couple of babies in, in the course of the time that she was out on maternity leave. And when she was getting ready to reenter the workplace, she called me and asked me to come do some coaching with her to get her up to speed and get her ready and sharpen her skills before she was back actually in the workplace. And as we were, uh, I went over to her home, and as I was going through this coaching session, you know, the brand-new baby started crying, and then the two-year-old started crawling up my leg. (laughs) And so I took the baby from her and started doing that mommy rock that anyone who's a mom or a dad knows that, you know, when you hold a baby, you move and rock. And I'm coaching her as I'm moving. And as we were starting to talk about how she was going to be able to communicate to a team that had been now evolving for two years while she was home with kid, raising kids um, and how she might uh, negotiate with salespeople and vendors coming back in and, and balance things, I was kind of going through these pieces and saying, well, how, okay, how did you convince your two-year-old that, that 
Mm-hmm. They couldn't have Oreos for breakfast. Let's take a look at these skills. Let's tap into this tactic and see if there's a way we can apply it at work so you can feel like you weren't completely absent. Mm. You were just using those skills in a different organization, uh-huh. the organization we call the family. Uh-huh. And from this coaching session, I left and got in my car and I called my husband, who's also my business partner, and I said to him, I know my book. Huh. I know the book I'm going to write. I'm going to write a book about all the things that we've learned from our moms and by being moms that make us so successful in the workplace and how we can tap into that by just listening and remembering and tapping into those experiences. And as I was driving home, I started thinking about my when my Aunt Jenny taught me how to bake bread and, and how, you know, my mother-in-law had to get 12 kids out of the house and, and how my mother used to make a game out of everything. And, and I started thinking of all these stories. And then I started thinking about how I work with my different clients and how I use so many of those tactics and how they in in turn do as well. And that's really where the book came from. It came from a a coaching session where I was holding a baby and Mm -hmm. coaching my client. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Um, So then where should we start? Well, what do you what do you, what do you think the the biggest challenges for people? You know, you see a lot of people that are, you know, that are frustrated with with kind of where they're going and the emotional, you know, outcome of all of this. Where do you think that the the biggest problem is for people that's related to work? And then we'll see if we can find hmm. a mom story to fit in. Okay. Um. Well, I think. I think that women and men, but I think it probably is more of a uh, a problem for women, undervalue themselves. I mean, there's kind of this feeling of um, being beaten down, you know, whether it's someone working for a company in all different levels or someone being an entrepreneur or someone being an actor or a producer in Hollywood. There's this, you know, there used to be talk about a glass ceiling for women, but I think there's a glass ceiling that we put, that people superimpose or create for themselves, that they limit them, limit their potential. They think that they're not worth as much as they really are. And I don't mean just in terms of money, but I mean as far, like they're, they don't follow their dream to the fullest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I don't think that that's distinctly a, a, a feminine Issue. I work with a lot of male um, executives at the VP levels that are, you know, act like scared little boys when it comes to asking their boss for the promotion, to you know, getting the the projects that they want. So I think that both men and women struggle with this, um, and I think that a lot of it comes from from a place of uh, of fear. You know, fear becomes a driver. My um. I have a chapter in the book that's called Wear Your Diamonds to the Beach, and it's about my a lesson my grandmother taught me. My my grandmother, we called her Mops, was a um, was an outstanding athlete in the early twenties. She was, you know, could have been a pro golfer. She was on the circuit, and and she had this approach to to her 
position, you know, to where she should be. Um, she used to go in tournaments, play in tournaments with my grandfather, only because it was the 20s, there were no tournaments that were geared towards women um, that she could play with with her father, who was a fierce competitor. And so my my grandfather and my grandmother would play in father-son tournaments, uh-huh. and she would win. And she and my grandfather would win these father-son tournaments all over uh, the Northeast. And did she pretend to be a boy, or did no, they just no. let her do it? The old, they just let her do it. The, the old photographs are, are of her with those old skirts that they used to wear, the old-fashioned skirts, uh-huh. the golfing skirts. And um, it was a kind of an approach that she had to life that she just could deliver. She knew she could deliver. She was confident that she could deliver. And so she walked in those places. And she really taught me those lessons in subtle ways as a, a, an older woman. You know, when she was older, she still could. My, for my wedding, they, we all played golf the day before my <laughs> wedding. She outdrove every single person, male or female, from the green. She hit that ball a ton. She had to be in her 70s. And she just had this powerful command. But she did it while she was wearing these antique diamonds all over her. She was sparkling all over the place. And she I remember her saying to me, you don't ever hide your diamonds. Mm-hmm. Just, you don't hide your diamonds. Wear them. And for me, that translated into your ideas. Taking those diamond ideas and being confident enough to really put them forward in the workplace. Most, what I've found in my coaching is that one of the main reasons that people don't put their ideas forward, that f- the reason that they feel beaten down is because they don't take a chance. They feel that everything needs to be perfect before they take any action at all. And if you wait for everything to be perfect, you're going to wait forever. If you wait for the perfect boss or the perfect time or the perfect project, you'll be waiting forever, probably just like waiting for the perfect man. You know, you'll be waiting forever. So this fear of being judged, having our ideas judged, having our value be judged, um, keeps people from putting those ideas out there. And if you only put them out there every so often, it gets harder and harder. Hmm. But if you're putting them out there all the time, you don't feel that your value is as connected to whether they like it or don't like it. Yes, and I guess that also goes for um, putting many ideas out there. I mean, the more ideas you put out there, if they don't like one, um, or you go, or if you just put all your eggs in one basket and go to one place. Um, then whether they like your ideas or not seems like it's the end of the world. But if you're realizing that you have other places to go, if these people don't like your ideas, then that makes it less intimidating too. Right. And if you're if you're a creative person, I think that's a little bit easier. We, there's kind of a big joke around here in my office that I'm I'm very creative. And so when people don't like one of my ideas, that's okay. i got about 15 more. Let's try a new one. Let's try another one. <laughs> we just keep moving forward. And that, I think, is the big lesson here. For me, the big lesson from Mom here is that you keep moving forward. You keep putting yourself out there. You keep letting your diamonds shine. Yes, that's, um, <laughs> that is 
That is so important. Wear your diamonds wherever you may be. It's interesting that she um, that she embodied both this masculine athlete and and also sort of the feminine diamond wearer. Oh, absolutely! Because she used to she used to do her shopping for her clothes in the men's section. Her her clothing, her diamonds were the most feminine thing about her, and she had this huge cocktail ring that she wore every single day, and it was passed down. My family is a. My great-great-grandfather was vice president of the United States, and so there's all these family heirlooms that were passed down, and she would wear them, you know, picking shells up on the beach, out on the golf course. She would wear them everywhere with her man-tailored trousers and her button-down shirt (laughs) and her little short haircut, and she definitely was this kind of yin and yang, this masculine-feminine blend. Hmm. And I think that for me, while I'm pretty feminine, I think that... The way that I work has kind of a confidence that people equate with masculinity Mm -hmm. and a straightforwardness. So Mm -hmm. I got a little bit of that male-female blend as well. Yes, and it's interesting because we were talking about that earlier with Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. But we do need to take a break. We'll be back. We're talking today about uh, presidential candidates and why they should listen to their mom. And we're talking now about why you should listen to your mom. My guest is Michelle Drake. Her book is From the Kitchen to the Corner Office, Mom's Wisdom on Leadership. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Everything you want, everything you want to do, and everything you want to have is right at your fingertips. People think that accomplishing your goals has to be difficult. Guess what? It doesn't. All you need are the right tools and a map. And that is what author, professional speaker, and now talk radio host Charmin Lane is offering you. Join Charmin Wednesday afternoons at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel for success made simple. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guest jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, 
Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talking with Michelle Drake today. She's the author of the new book, From the Kitchen to the Corner Office. We're talking about why you should listen to your mom. <laughs> Mother Knows Best, a new take um, not only applying it to presidents but or presidential candidates, but to all of us. Um, so, Michelle, why don't you? I, I had said earlier in the show that the that the specialness of your book comes from um, not just it being a primer on you know how to be a good leader, but on the very personal nature of it. How you actually walk us through from your childhood lessons with your mother and your grandmother and your aunts and various women in your family to um, how you've been able to use that in the business world. So maybe you could give us some other, another example. Sure, sure. I think that the, the idea of mentoring was, is something that's really, um, really important as far as your, who you are as a leader. And for me, I had a great role model in in the actual um, act of mentoring, how you mentor someone. You know, as, as leaders, part of, you know, the biggest part of our job is how we groom the people on our teams. And in one of the chapters, uh, I write about an experience with my great-aunt Jenny, Giovanna Fanelli. <laughs> she was an Italian immigrant. And even today, when I stand in my kitchen and I cook, I can feel her presence. I can, you know, when I smell bread baking or chicken soup cooking or sauce on, I am immediately transported back to Aunt Jenny's tiny kitchen. And and in this kitchen, it was one of those old-fashioned kitchens where there were no counters. It was just a sink with some legs that it was on and an old beaten-up stove and a big tabletop that we used to cook on. And my, uh, my Aunt Jenny taught me how to bake bread. And to me, the act of baking bread is really very similar to the act of grooming uh, someone. So Aunt Jenny teaches me how to bake bread. I graduate from, uh, from college. I move down to New York City where she's living. And um, I decide that I want to be able to make this bread, make this amazing, golden, crusty bread that had been, you know, revered in my family for forever. And so I went over to her apartment, and to get the whole piece started, you have to get the picture of this little Italian lady hanging out the window because she couldn't walk down the stairs of the apartment. You'd ring the doorbell, and you'd have to duck your head so you didn't get hit with a brown bag and a rock mm-hmm. and a key. Mm-hmm. So she'd lean the bag and the key down to you so you could open yourself in. So if you weren't paying attention, you got a bit of a knot in your head to start with. 
and you'd go up and you'd start to smell the smells as you got about halfway up the stairs. It would be a combination of chicken soup, bread baking, and and Gina Tay. I don't know if you remember that, but that was a cologne oh, yes. that, <laughs> yes. that, she, that she wore. It was this weird blend of of um of smells as you got there. So I get up and I go to to start to learn this, and Aunt Jenny pulls all of the canisters out. She's got them all on the table, and she says to me, Michalina, you're going to learn how to bake the bread today, yes? I said, yeah, if you'll teach me, Aunt Jenny. I figured she was going to hand me a recipe, and then we were going to cook it together, and I'd have my recipe to make bread. Well, she didn't speak very much English, so she would start, and she'd say, you know, oh, you have everything you need in you. You don't need no paper. Hmm. You have the recipe is inside of you. She said, how old are you? I was 21 years old. She says, 21 years you've been standing in the kitchen with me watching me make the bread. <laughs> you know how to make the bread. I'm not going to tell you. And she sat down. And I had to find my way through all of these ingredients that she had on the table. And, and she'd laugh and she'd laugh. And the first bread that I made was awful. I had the, too much salt in it. It was heavy. It was, oh, it was awful. And so I'd sit with her and I'd say, Aunt Jenny, you know, I, I, why did this not work? And she'd say, oh, you know, you, you, didn't, you didn't use enough water. You didn't. So she'd start to give me little bits of the mm. recipe. And I had to go back over and over to her apartment. And each time we would make it together, I'd learn a little bit more. Hmm. And she'd she'd share a little bit more, but she'd let me fail. It was almost like I was required to fail a certain number of times before I really earned that recipe. Mm-hmm. And so in the process, I got pretty comfortable. And then the first time I tried to make it back at my apartment, she says, okay, now you go on your own. I know on a watch you go. And I went to the grocery store, and who knew there were so many different kinds of flour? None of her canisters were marked. Hmm. I just, the flour was there. I got to the grocery store. It was before cell phones. Now we just pick the phone up and say, okay, what kind of flour? I'm looking at rye flour, whole wheat flour, pastry flour, (laughs) all-purpose flour. And so I started to just buy what I thought. And I work with it again and go through the whole iteration of having it not be right. And she would talk to me about it and say, you know, what did it look like? What did it feel like? What did it smell like? Tell me what you use. Hmm. Um, and we would make adjustments. And eventually, I got the bread to a place that Aunt Jenny would be proud of. I got it to a place that resembled hers. But then I started feeling like I wanted to try a little bit of my own. And for Aunt Jenny, I think that was the whole purpose of the whole exercise, was to make it so I was so comfortable with experimenting that I got to experiment with something that was distinctly mine. So I started adding caramelized onions into the basic white bread recipe, the Italian bread recipe that she gave me, sun-dried tomatoes, roasted peppers. And I started forming this product, this bread, that was distinctly Michalina's and not Aunt Jenny's. Mm -hmm. And so as a leader... She really, she, she really taught me that a leader provides their people with the tools for success, but she teaches them how to rely on themselves to reach the goal. And she encourages the team, the team to work through failures and to, to not be um, 
completely derailed by setbacks um, so that they're stronger and have a deeper understanding of their own individual talents and skills so that they're ready for the next challenge. So for me, this model has really proven to be quite valuable because for me, I'm a coach and I'm coaching people to, to be able to be better leaders in their own organizations. And so I utilize the same kind of, a, of an approach. But to me, I just, I love, for me, the bread story is one that really encompasses everything about what a good, strong leader is. You know, the sense of humor, the sense of building confidence, of building teamwork, of understanding and analyzing um, your skills. You know, the ingredients, I had to understand how the ingredients worked together. Mm. You know, a leader needs to know how their team works together to get the most out of them. Um, yes, and so if she would have just given you the recipe and you yeah. would have followed it, um, first of all, it wouldn't have been all that, you know, I mean, it would be nice to have the finished product of the bread that tasted delicious, but it really w- wouldn't have been that creative. And I wouldn't have had ownership of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I really owned it. By the time I made it, it was still her recipe um, before I started mixing other things in. Right. But I had complete ownership of that. It was my bread, and it wasn't Aunt Jenny's bread. I became the bread and the bread maker. It yeah. was a really beautiful experience, and uh, it translated out into to other recipes. And it, it, you know, I do the same thing with my children. Um, they have to earn it. They have to want it badly enough. They have to want the outcome, and and not just be entitled to be given it. And I think that in general in society, we have a tendency to do that. It's easier, it's faster, let yeah. me just give it to you, write it down, here's how you do it. And then you wonder why employees aren't connected to the organization, why, uh, you know, why children expect everything done for them. There's so many things that fall out of us just taking the easy, quickest route versus the one that really takes time but cultivates the people that you're interacting with. Yes, absolutely. Um, oh, I see a, another. We have just a, a couple of more minutes. Uh, do you want to start on another personal story, another example? Oh, I don't know how many couple of. Oh, I, got a quick, <laughs> I got a quick one. When my boys were when my boys were little, they liked to help me. They liked to help me around the house and. Um, so this is one I learned from being a mom. Uh-huh. So my sons decided they were going to help me clean. My mom arrived over at my house, and I heard her laughing down in the front of the house. I came down the stairs, and she said to me, Michelle, you aren't going to believe what these boys are doing. They were maybe three and four years old, my sons. They were spitting on the front door and then mushing it around with their hands. They had watched me washing the windows earlier in the day, the big-picture windows earlier in the day, Uh and that translated to mom put wet stuff on the window and then rubbed it around, and and she liked what happened at the end. So we're going to help her, and we're going to do that. And to me, I thought, I mean, I couldn't get upset with them. I had to take accountability in my own role in this. 
that I didn't give them direction, and that I didn't give them the tools to be able to succeed. So their intent was there. The outcome was was atrocious. So then you uh, handed them the spray bottle and the Windex. Yes, and they've been great cleaners ever since. <laughs> Clean up your own mess. I think I think that's a lesson for our politicians. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, we do need to take that break. We're talking to my guest, Michelle Drake, and we're talking about uh, why presidential candidates and all of us should listen to our mom. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, talking with my guest today, Michelle Drake, talking about why presidential candidates like uh, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, who are fighting it out today in Pennsylvania, um, and John McCain later on, and you and I uh, should listen to our mom and use some of the leadership skills that we um, can take from our mothers and our um, maternal family figures. So, Michelle, why don't you um, take another one of your personal stories and, and translate it into uh, lessons we can learn. Okay. Um, I think that the, the, the biggest thing that keeps people from moving forward is fear, from, from growing and from, uh, and from challenging themselves to be everything that they can be. 
And for me, I learned the lesson at a pretty uh, young age as far as how to overcome fears or my abilities to overcome fears. When I was in college, I took a class called Leadership 101. Pretty appropriate, right, since my book is on leadership. And I figured it would be a nice, easy A, be able to, you know, write a couple essays about leaders, study some leaders. And uh, I found out that this class was uh, in this little tiny building behind the science building. It's... Uh, looked like a maintenance hut. You know, it looked like a maintenance shed. And I went down the first day of class and noticed that there were all boys in the class. I was the only girl. And the teacher came storming in from the back and came up into the front of the class, a big blur of blue, and said, Welcome to ROTC Leadership 101. My job is to turn you men, you boys, into men. And I was thinking, he probably doesn't notice the blonde chick in the back of the classroom. (laughs) And in this class, I found out that ROTC was Reserve Officer Training Corps, which meant that the captain was who was teaching it. And he was in his uniform, and he had us running six miles at the beginning of class, every class. He had us uh, doing obstacle courses and doing all kinds of crazy things, shooting guns at the rifle range. That was what this leadership class was. My final exam, I'm figuring I'm going to get to write an essay maybe about the experience because I didn't know how it was going to be graded. And uh, on the day of the final exam, we were in the science building, and I was thinking, excellent. We're going to be able to, you know, I can handle this now. We're not out in the ROTC hut. And... uh, I get to the classroom, or what I think is the classroom, I open up the door and realize I'm standing on the roof. And so the final exam was jumping off of the building. It was repelling, and it was jump off the building, you get an A. Don't jump off of the building, you get an F. And so in this class, I had to overcome this terrifying fear that I had of, of heights. And in my mind, as I was standing up on the side of the building, waiting to to go over the side, all the boys had already jumped, the captain was screaming in my face, you can do this, you can do this. And I was, I was not convinced. I was crying. I was thinking of every excuse to, to get out of it. And then I started thinking about my mother and what my mother would say, make a game out of it. My Aunt Jenny that would say, you know, you can do this, Michalina. My grandmother, Mops, who would say, you know, bring your A-game. And their voices started playing in my head. And then the instructor got very tiny and small in front of me and, and, and uh, whispered to me, I believe in you. I know you can do this. I've seen you do all these things all semester long that you didn't think you could do. I know you can do this. Jump. And so I did. And it was amazing, this feeling of power that I had at the bottom after I jumped. I felt like I could accomplish anything. I've drawn on that feeling over the course of my life. Having the opportunity to challenge yourself to come through a fear that you have when it's not life-threatening is critical to be able to have the tools to be able to do it if you are put in a position that is much more traumatic. When I was one year out of college and working in New York, 
I was tested in that way. I was coming up from the subway on my way to work um, in New York City, and I was struck in the head uh, with a briefcase, and I was knocked out cold, and I was dragged to an alleyway, and uh, I was beaten severely. My face was bashed in, my my ribs were broken, and um, and then I was raped, and I was left for dead. And when I came to, I was in shock, and I made my way back on the subway to go back home, and I made my way back to my apartment. I had to change three trains to get to where mm-hmm. where uh, I lived, and. Uh, when I caught my reflection in the mirror when I got home, that was the first point that I realized what had happened to me. And, you know, I didn't do the right thing from the perspective of I I didn't go to the hospital. I got in the shower. I did all of the things wrong that a a rape victim uh, would do. But I did the thing that was right for me. I took myself to my church, and I sat. I was probably there about three or four hours, and I prayed, and I gave thanks, and I gave gratitude. And that may seem a little off, but I felt so grateful that I was alive. I I can't even, if I can't even express to you how grateful I felt that I was alive, because I should have been dead in that alleyway. Three days later... I went back into work. I went back into the city because it was my choice. You know, I went back into the city because I knew I was capable of pushing myself through my fear, and I was afraid. I was extremely afraid. I felt sick the whole way in, and quite honestly, for many months after that, uh, each time I would head into work. But this knowledge that I knew how to do fear, I knew how to push myself through it, saved my own sense of power. It saved my belief in myself and my ability to do whatever I set my mind to. And so when I work with clients who are paralyzed by fear, I try to express to them that they need to find little things that they are afraid of and run towards them to be able to help teach themselves their own ability to get through fear. Because once you know that about who you are, the possibilities are unlimited with what you can do with your life. Now, I know that the reason that I survived that attack was because I was supposed to do something that would help other people mm-hmm. in my life. And and I hold that responsibility very tight to myself. Um, but I think that to speak about leadership and to not speak about fear is is to do a disservice for the reader, for the listener, because anyone who's going to step out on that limb and try and lead is going to come face-to-face with fear. Yes, absolutely. 
And, I mean, it was an incredibly courageous way that you handled that. Um, interesting how you didn't really ask for help. You kind of did that on your own. And I think that all of that courage and all of the wisdom that you gained from uh, your mother and your, the female figures in your family and from your own experiences have really come through in this book and I'm sure comes, comes through with all of your coaching clients. Um, I want to again tell people how they can get the book. Again, the name of the book is From the Kitchen to the Corner Office, Mom's Wisdom on Leadership. Uh, my guest, again, is Michelle Drake. Please go to her website because there are so many other things that uh, you can find that sh- how she's able to help you. And obviously now um, I'm sure you're, you're aware of the strength that she brings with her to be able to help you as a coach or even just through this book. The book's website is kitchentocorneroffice.com, kitchentocorneroffice.com. And again, you can get it at Amazon for now, and it'll, then it'll be in the bookstores. And Michelle also uh, gives you a free newsletter, which is called LipstickLeadership.com. If you go to that website, you can sign up for her free newsletter. Again, that's LipstickLeadership.com. And the book's website, again, is KitchenToCornerOffice.com. So, Michelle, thank you for sharing your stories with us, your personal stories that really teach lessons in, in a much more meaningful way. And then this is what you do, one, two, three. <laughs> and, uh, thank and thank you for being, and I wish you well with, with your book. It really, it really should do incredibly well because, because it does teach in this, uh, in this kitcheny way, as a matter of fact. <laughs> this well, war, just you, like you talked about with building, with, with baking the bread. I mean, that's, that's kind of teaching us to be better leaders through, through a warm, fuzzy bread baking. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you again, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.